Valentine's Day is just around the corner, and we're going to help celebrate with a new podcast series called Loving Well. What we'd like to do is take some time and reflect on what makes your spouse unique. I'm married to a dreamer. This man never has, he's never short for dreams or ideas or what are we going to do when, and I don't bring any dreaming to the table. Now, something I really appreciate about her is just her love for people. Um, I think her big thing is her willing to listen. I love that my husband will often give me more money to spend on clothing than he gives himself. So my wife, uh, she doesn't find flowers to be that romantic. She actually would much prefer a burger and fries type of a night out. If I'm going to spend money, don't spend it on flowers. Spend it on something we can both enjoy. Well, that's music to every guy's ears. She'd prefer a burger over flowers. Here at Focus on the Family, we love marriage. And what better time to celebrate than Valentine's Day? I'm John Fuller, and I'm in the studio with Dr. Greg Smalley and his wife, Erin. Hey, great to be here with you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us, John. I love how you use the word celebrate. I think there, there's two aspects. I picked as- that up from you. <laughs> I, which, which is why probably I love it yeah. so much. You know, there, there's two meanings of the word celebrate. Part of it is just having fun and enjoying each other. Go have a burger. So there's, there's just part of it that means we're just going to do something enjoyable together. The deeper meaning of celebrate is all about honoring something that's valuable, and that's your marriage relationship. Mm. And so there's a great verse in the Bible that talks about where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So the more you are really, really aware of why this marriage of ours is so valuable, usually the more that we invest in that. But I remember uh, lots of stories from the studio and just offline about how things weren't always so rosy and the differences were kind of stark and abrupt for you to, to deal with, right? Yeah, maybe the word always was a little bit too strong. Um, You know, we walked these differences right into our marriage. Because I could remember two weeks into our relationship, having a conversation that was, I didn't think was odd at the time, but looking back is, is a little bit different. Because I just wanted to find out, I asked Greg a simple question of, you know, how am I doing as a wife? In do you hear that, John? <laughs> there, there was a long silence <laughs> that said, "There's no right answer to this." There, there isn't. Although two weeks into our marriage, I thought there was a simple answer. I, I answered fine. I mean, how are we doing? How am I doing as a wife? Fine. Yeah, but any mm-hmm. woman listening out there knows that they do not like the word "fine." I do not. I didn't know I didn't like it until we got married. <laughs> and really, what "fine" means is feelings inside not expressed. So I knew there was more feelings that you were having about that question. Yeah. Actually, about me. Oh, there, there yeah. wasn't, but she pushed, and she finally said zero to ten. Ten being the best job, zero being the worst. How would you rate me? Of course, I'm thinking <laughs> I don't want to play this game anymore. <laughs> Let's turn off the lights. Let me show you. You know what a great job you're doing. And I thought I came up with a perfect response. And remember, two weeks. So give me a break. Two weeks in our marriage. I rated her. I said, "Honey, I'm proud to tell you that you are a nine point three. That's that's really a good rating, I think, Thank Greg. you. That's like yeah. an A. Oh, exactly. Well, so? today I would be thrilled to be a 9.3, but what Greg didn't know about me back then is that I was one of those students, 9.8 and above was passing, so 98% and above <laughs> was passing in school. So this is a clear signal you didn't measure up. I oh didn't word. measure up. I wasn't good enough. Yeah. yeah, needless to say, created this huge conflict. We argued about my rating for 
you know, a good while. Okay, so that's the end of the podcast right there. We're just going to say <laughs> there's a lot you can do to avoid the conflict in marriage. Is there? Okay, one more thing about this, right? Well, it ended when she goes, well, I may be a 9.3, but at least I'm not a 5 oh, like you are. Okay. Ooh, All right, so, so let's sorry. just leave this painful thing and move on. So we're going to hear from another couple. They had kind of actually a similar conflict in their marriage, uh, Dr. Walt Laramore and his wife, Barb. Uh, they're going to address that confusion that so many couples experience and, and to figure out how to get past those differences that are so very obvious. Uh, Walt is a family physician. He and Barb wrote a great book about the different ways that guys and gals think. It's called His Brain, Her Brain. And uh, they're going to show that many of the misunderstandings that we have in conflict are actually the result of biological, psychological differences between men and women. Walt and Barb, you guys were here in the 2000s. You spent time here. You were the official physician in residence here at Focus on the Family, Walt. And we so appreciated that service. And in that, it's a great place to start when we talk about you know, the brain chemistry, your book, His Brain, Her Brain, highlights those differences and those mm-hmm. distinctions. For so long, the culture has been telling us we're all the same. You know, biologically, there's no difference. But there is, isn't there? Well, there's no question about it. One of the leading feminists in our country had a situation where she decided as a single mom to adopt a, a child. And she adopted a little boy. And she decided she was going to raise him in a gender-neutral peaceful green home, which she did. But when he got up to about two and a half, three years of age, one day she made him a peanut butter sandwich and he chewed it into the shape of a gun and shot her several times with it. And she said in a very honest editorial, she said, the only people who believe little boys and little girls come out the same are people who are childless. (laughs) Well, it's probably true. (laughs) Because we do see the differences from not only from birth, but in the womb. Well, let's start from the beginning. I think it's a great place to start. When you're in your mother's womb, Walt, you're the physician. Uh, what is happening chemically to the little boy and the little girl that is different? Something happens even there. Oh, no question. In fact, uh, from conception through oh, the first six or eight weeks, the little unborn baby is much more female than male, irrespective of whether it's going to be a little boy or a little girl. And then there's a surge of hormones that occurs, about six or eight weeks. In the little boy, it's a surge of testosterone. And in the little girl, it's a surge of estrogen. And that testosterone surge has a dramatic effect. For example, it makes his little developing bones much harder. So a little boy is born with harder bones than a little girl. And there's one bone that is the hardest in him as he develops, and it's his head. I mean, he literally. <laughs> this is just too good to be it's true. It's literally born hard. And then another thing that the testosterone does is that it makes his muscles uh, more active. And then in the brain, there's a dramatic effect where the testosterone literally dissolves, Jim, the connection between the left brain and the right brain. It's got a big long name, it's called the corpus callosum. But that dissolving of the corpus callosum, 30 to 50% of it's gone in a little boy makes him, when he grows up, much more focused, much more segmented. We like to talk about his brain being like a chest of drawers, and he's got a box for everything, Mm. but he can only operate in one box at a time. Because her connection's been preserved, she did not have that testosterone surge. She can multitask 
much, much better. So she, than she ATM. just has one big drawer, and everything's in there. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's all okay. It's I'm in trouble now. Gene's going to get me for that. No, no one. it's it's at, and and that has wonderful advantages, but it does make you different. One of the most wonderful ones we learned about was what I what I like to call the nothing box. That guys literally have a box that they can go into in their brain, and their brain does. Nothing. It's a great place. And and Barb for years would ask me, what are you thinking about? And I would say... He would say nothing. And I would think, <laughs> well, let's see. What have I done to make him want to avoid a conversation with me? Oh, oh yes. Our, you our, know, our, and, you, and you start getting uh, in that little uh, thinking, which is totally unproductive. So really, you're and overthinking I, it. Yes. And I thought he was just lying to me and trying to put me off. But that can become a very divisive thing. If she doesn't know, I, I have that nothing box. And now, Jim, the research is showing the average woman, not even the great woman, but the average woman can hear and independently process seven different audio signals at one time. So she can be talking on the phone, listening to Focus on the Family on the radio, listening to TV in the other room, listening to one child in another room, another child in another room, and the husband in the garage. And she's processing it all at one time without problem. That sounds exhausting just thinking yeah, about thinking that. going to, to the garage. Her brain. Now, his brain, the average guy, not the exceptional guy, the average guy can listen to and process one audio input at a time. Mm. If you don't know that, that can be very destructive. We, we were... A number of years ago, we were driving to the airport, and uh, <clears throat> so we were listening to the radio, and Barb started to talk to me about something, and I turned the radio off, and she said, You really don't have to do that. <laughs> and for her brain, I didn't, because she can listen to the radio and, and talk. Right. And I said, No, I do have to do that. Well, that used to ang- cause division, anger. Now that we understand the brain differences, we go, she realizes when I turn that off, I'm honoring her not dishonoring mm-hmm. her. So it's one of hundreds of examples we have in the book that couples can look at. And Jim, some of these male differences, female members of our audience will recognize that in themselves. And some of the female differences, some of the guys right, These say, are general rules. But as a general rule, we're different when we marry. And if we recognize those differences and understand them, it actually strengthens us. One of the frustrating things that we have is Dina will will look at me and just say, can't you say something while we're talking? And I'm just thinking, no, I'm, I'm letting it play out here. You have a need to express, and I'm not going to try to direct or, or step in too soon. Is that me avoiding a fight, or is that me just being a guy? It's you being a guy. In fact, we had to spend two chapters just talking about the not only the communication differences between men and women, the processing differences between men and women. For example, it takes the average male with a certain stress, seven times longer to process that than it does the average female. And so it's critical to understand that, that difference. And, and I then, can share that stat with her, right? Well, and but even more important... That's not going to win any brownie well, points. Even more important <laughs> is for, for her to understand how, because her brain is designed to verbally process, her verbal centers, her hearing centers, and her emotional processing centers are very highly connected. His emotional processing center isn't connected to his verbal processing at all. It's actually connected to, it's called the spinothalamic tracts. It's his activity tracts. When he is stressed, he either needs to get alone or he needs to go out and do something. Chop wood. Exactly. Go fishing, go for a run. When she's stressed, she needs to talk. Mm -hmm. And most typically, 
to someone who's a female. She cannot process without that talking. In fact, the data shows that women uh, prisoners who are put into solitary confinement are much more likely to die quickly than men in solitary confinement because they cannot emotionally process without that. So in our marriage, it's been important for, well, there was a situation a couple years ago where a local ministry had a bunch of staff in a van and the van wrecked and five or six of the staff were killed and a couple of others were in the hospital in the ICU. And when we heard that, my response to that was I just needed some time to, to think about it, to pray about it, to process it. Barb called her best friend Penny. And we used to get mad about that. Like, why can't she talk to me? Why does she have to talk to Penny? Or why does he go away? Why can't he talk to me? Now we understand that. But even better are the ways that Barb has taught me to talk. Hmm. He's built to fix things. That's part of how God designed him, to lead, to fix, to conquer, to conquest, to be in projects, to do. He's not nearly as relational as she is. And so for her to say, well, I want to talk. You don't need to fix it. And then I don't have to think about how do I fix this? Because if I do and she doesn't need that, that just angers her. That pushes her away. That that doesn't respond to her heart, Mm. which is what she needs me to do. Knowing these things that I know now, it helps me kind of approach what I want the end result to be from a little bit different angle. You know, like you said, my brain never turns off. And, you know, sometimes I find myself saying, well, I don't have time for this. You know, you're an adult. Let's get it done. But still, it's just the chemical concoctions in his brain that are making him respond to me the way he is responding. Mm. And it's not giving me the end result. So I have to think it through. I can either be frustrated and ticked off at him or... I can approach it from a different angle. Jim Daly talking with Walt and Barb Laramore. And if you'd like to learn more about how those differences that we're wired with between men and women can affect your marriage, stop by focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. And uh, you'll see a copy of the Laramore's book, His Brain, Her Brain, And uh, it'd be a privilege for us to send that book to you as a thank you gift when you donate generously to the ministry of Focus on the Family. John, we've got some amazing resources online. One of my favorites is a marriage assessment that we've developed. It really looks at 12 key areas of a marriage that as you do these things well, the research shows that you're going to have a strong marriage. So it actually shows you how you're doing, shows your three best strengths, so you keep doing those well, but it also shows some growth areas. Some, some room for improvement like you gave Aaron back in the early days of your marriage. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for bringing yes. that up again. So do You're take a 15, that marriage assessment. Way, <laughs> you know, we have the marriage assessment, but then we also have other resources available online. Um, one is the Essentials of Romance Bundle, and included in that is the Date Night Challenge, Comedy Edition, and then also the Married Guy's Guide to Great Sex. So many others are available online, so I encourage you to go there. Movies, books, articles, and so much more, all at focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. Well, Greg, Walt and Barb talked a lot about gender differences, but there are more things than just those that cause couples to feel disconnected. There really are. Things like personality differences, family background, wounds, ways that we've been injured, our desires, just life experiences. Aaron and I came from very two different backgrounds growing up. 
And so the way that, that her family handled conflict, let's say, very different from mm-hmm. the way that my family handled conflict. So mm-hmm. that was a challenge for us in the early years of our marriage, just because we, we were so different in how we tried to work through conflict. But then we continue to change, you know, as we've gone through different seasons in our marriage, adding kids, graduate school, moving, returning to work part-time. I mean, there's constant changes and it impacts then who we are as we're growing and changing and developing. So we have to continue to know who our spouse is. Well, I appreciate that perspective. And I think that's one thing that we want to leave couples with, especially uh, newer couples. Hang in there because the rewards of staying together and working through those conflicts um, is a greater connection uh, than you can ever imagine. Well, we're going to hear from Dr. Josh Straub and his wife, Christy. They founded the Connection Group, which is a company designed to empower marriages and families. Uh, the Straubs are both trained counselors. They offer a lot of encouragement to couples. And uh, they met with Jim Daly and me to share how they were growing apart in their marriage and what they did to fix that. You had an aha moment in your relationship. Hopefully most couples uh, hit that point where they're learning. What was your aha moment? It's funny. Uh, you know, we are counselors. We have counseling backgrounds and, and education. But you can help other people when you're the third party. But when you're in it yourself and you realize, uh, whoa, wait a second here. I'm not getting what I teach other people. I'm not even getting it. And I had that moment. I was I came in one day. I was out at a coffee shop. I was writing or I was doing something. But I was working from a coffee shop. And it was right after we had our, our son, Landon, our firstborn. And I came home and... I walked in and I was telling Christy all about my day and all the fun things that were going on. And I looked at her and now granted to, to kind of set the stage here, she's in sweatpants. She has no makeup on. It's the end of the day. I'm feeling uncomfortable and, here. I mean, <laughs> she's like, I'm, I'm feeling like saying, Josh, don't go there. Pull back. <laughs> like she's like, and, and all of a sudden I just get, and she looks at me and just, I mean, tears just well up in her eyes and she just starts crying. And she just says, why don't you ever ask me about me? Mm. And it was one of those moments where we had realized that uh, our wedding vows, I mean, uh, we wrote our wedding vows and I said, um, I will fight for you and not with you. And her wedding vow back to me was, you are my teammate. You know, we love sports. We both played sports. Uh, we're husbands, but we, um, <laughs> but but we use that analogy in our marriage. And here I was, not even realizing it, working completely, playing completely out of a different locker room, and part of that was because she was losing her identity. But again, but to your defense, Josh, I would say. I didn't even know how lost I was at that time. It really wasn't until that day, that moment. I I remember it like it was yesterday. It was true. I was still in sweatpants, you know, hair in a ponytail, no makeup on, spackled in banana and sweet potato because we were teaching our son how to eat solid foods. <laughs> that is a word picture. <laughs> right? But it's like like vivid in my mind. And he comes in the house wafting the de- like some delicious smelling latte that he'd probably had and talking about all the great projects he had going on. And it was all the, you know, all these exciting things and I was lost and I think my exact words to you were why don't you ever ask about my heart but I didn't know until that moment how lonely I was or really how lost I felt Um, but that was a huge moment for us and it kind of set the catalyst I think for us to start 
communicating in a very different way. Hey, Christy, before you go further, Josh, on that, so many women just leaned in mm-hmm. to what you were saying. You described probably literally millions of women that just heard you make that statement. Mm-hmm. Having that feeling, having that emotion, what was the first rung of the ladder that you could grab to say, okay, I'm not going to live in this despair? Yeah. What was that? What did you grab to say, help me get out of this pit? And it's so funny you use that analogy because that is exactly how I felt. I describe it as the bottom rung of life. Mm. I just remember being there. We had very difficult kids and just babies that were just colicky and screaming and not sleeping. And I don't think that's maybe a normal situation, but it doesn't, I don't think it matters. When you get thrust into this, you have no idea what to expect. This is all brand new. And for me, it was the actual communicating. I I had to literally get to the place where I could put words to how helpless and how alone and I think how invisible I felt. Mm. And once I could finally put that into words, because I think there's so much shame that covers that, because we have so many dear friends who are struggling to have babies. I, we, we were able to. And this is a blessing, right? Like, shouldn't this be a blessing? You, you shouldn't complain about this. This is a gift. And also, shouldn't this be natural? Shouldn't you know how to be a mother? And I had no idea. And so Josh comes home. Mm-hmm. You're the you're the man of the moment. You're the expert, Josh. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> and then In what did Mister Expert yeah. do here to say? Da da da! da yeah. I've arrived. Yeah, and I mean for me, so in the there's two things. There's what I did, and then what's going on in my brain. Uh, what I did because I had no. This isn't because I'm like um, I knew what I was doing. I just didn't know what else to do in the moment. I just held her and mm. and just let her cry on my shoulder. And I just I remember I remember very vividly where we were standing in the moment and just holding her and just saying, "Let's figure this out." Mm. In the back of my brain, I'm going, "I got to fix this thing." Yeah, it's that man that that male like. And you got two conversations. Well, yeah, going yeah. On. So in the back of my brain, I'm going, "Okay, what do I got to do to fix this to get my wife to be happy again so that we can all be happy?" But the reality was, I had to be. It was important for me in that moment to realize I had to be emotionally safe for her. I had to help her as as one flesh, as her partner, as her teammate. I had to figure out a way to sit with her because I knew I couldn't fix this. This was something we had to fix together. And therefore, I have to listen to her. I have to understand her. Mm-hmm. And to be very fair, it's been a mutual. We're talking something she went through. She's done the exact same thing for me in a lot of great ways. Well, well what you're so. describing is that that move from me to we, mm-hmm. which you highlight. That's a beautiful explanation of it. Um, but we've got to get to the we page. Describe mm-hmm. how you begin to move from that me to we. Yeah, I can. And I I can say I have another vivid memory. We were visiting my family. I'm from Canada. We were there for Christmas. And Josh looked at me and said, I just want my wife back. And it wasn't until that moment that I really realized I was gone. Like the me, the me that used to be even the me in like the we we had cultivated before children was gone. And I'm not sure. Did it scare you? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That was a really um, pivotal, I think, point. And that's where I think I started to cling to that ladder. Like, I have got to move up one rung. Like, I cannot stay in this place for my marriage. I can't stay in this place for my kids or my family. Mm. And so I think what 
I kind of boil it down to three things and I'll speak on behalf of myself and maybe women. I won't speak on behalf of men, but um, I, I feel like these are three things that have been really core into my coming back. And that was to be seen, to be known, and to be invited. And it was that very day where you walked in and I realized I, you don't see me. Why don't you ask about me? Mm. And so I think what our conversation ended up being that day was that I, I need to know that I'm valuable, mm. right? And I need to know that I'm doing a good job. Mm. <laughs> and uh, to go back, I'm going to go to one that was just last week because that whole good job, um, that for me, I wouldn't have known that. I wouldn't have known. Right. She does such a great job as a mom that I you take that for granted. Knows. I think she knows. So I don't highlight those things. I don't focus on those things. So for me, now I can say to her in those evenings, uh, I was grateful today mm-hmm. when you helped Landon learn to draw, write his name. So something specific. Something yeah. ve- oh, you've got to be very specific. Well, in part, part in Christy, I just love your emotion. I mean, man, again, it's just like, <laughs> ah. But part of me as a, as a man, when I hear that, putting Jean in your place, yeah. if she's saying that to me, I'm like traveling in first gear, maybe second gear, because yeah. I'm thinking about all these other things exactly. you know, that I got to do. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're in fourth gear. Yeah. And I don't even know how to move into that gear. Right. And how, how would you help husbands better understand mm-hmm. when your wife is communicating like that, find fourth gear, go there mm-hmm. with her. I think a lot of times in marriages, we assume we're just all trucking along fine. And, you know, you, you know, you're great, right? You know, you, right. you're doing a great job, but you don't. And then ha- how does a man, a husband, when he sees a clue like your tears, mm-hmm. How can we go there with you? What's the next right thing to say? Because I think we get so fearful, we back up. Exactly. Going, huh, did you get the shopping done? Uh, can I help with exact- the dishes? Oh. Uh, what and do we do? Don't we all want to avoid that? Because it's negative emotion, right? We don't know what to do with that. And our culture, our culture says we just don't do a very good job of sitting with one another in negative emotion and mm. just being with one another. And I, I would say doing this 15 minutes a day has really helped us because I know it can sound super corny. It really can to say like using your feeling words. I mean, that sounds, you know, but this has become something that's now more natural to us so that I think it avoids some of those really emotional buildups that we get to this place where we're bursting into tears and the husband's in first gear and the wife's in fourth gear and having no idea where she's coming from. So this has really helped us sort of play offense a little bit that we're getting less of those. But I would say for me, um, when I'm in those places of, because I think, you know, just like for Jean too, there's often things we just can't put words to. Right. We need someone else's help. And I would, that's my teammate. I mean, that's Josh. That's he's He's the one who walks closely beside me more than anyone else. And I need him to help me put language to what I'm experiencing. And so what we found, too, is it's helpful to even call out in the other person those things. I notice when, you know, when you're with Landon um, that you get really frustrated or you get you seem really exasperated. Like what what what's going on there? Like what's and it's 
again, we do a very bad job of being aware of ourselves. Well, and one of the things, I appreciate that transparency. One of the things are the hurdles, especially with, uh, you know, having kids or having other things, mm. high stress, vocations, whatever it might be, lots of travel. Yeah. You know, people listening, they have all these obstacles. And I can even say that, you know, Jean and I could find it hard on some days to find 15 minutes mm-hmm. to sit down together. Mm-hmm. Because her pattern is at night when the dinner is done, we've had a good time, we take a long time at dinner. We'll spend 30, 45 minutes together around the table telling stories, having fun, laughing, which is good. But then it's kick-in mode. She's very Mm task-oriented, so she's got her list in her mind. Mm -hmm. And we'll go off and start doing other things. And to get back together after the boys are down or whatever is hard sometimes, mm-hmm. and it, but it is what you need to do. How do you create the discipline, I guess is my long-winded way of asking, yeah. how do you get the discipline to be regular on this? Maybe it's not gonna be every night, but three to five times a week where you're connecting emotionally, intimately like this. Exactly, and I think it's so much less legalistic than we think it has to be. Like this is yeah. what, what we're, we've learned is to just start to integrate it so it becomes a natural part of your day, right? The natural part of your dance with one another mm. and how um, we've learned, I mean, sometimes he he does travel a fair bit. And so that is a struggle for us, um, especially for me who as a wife and Josh works a lot with military wives and families as well, um, who feel left at home, mm-hmm. right? And it's finding those times during the day, often we're texting or, 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 you know, calls during nap time or lunch time or while the kids are at school or things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and we started it as a 10 to 15 minutes because that's what we needed. We needed to make sure that we found that time to begin this level of conversation. And just as, as, as Christy mentioned, you know, there are times where she, I'm able to call out and her, you seemed frustrated or I noticed you were frustrated at, and she can do that to me. It's become such a natural part of our conversation. However, it takes time mm-hmm. because the natural, our natural tendency is to defend ourselves. We feel attacked. And for us, that's even that's been part of becoming teammates, better teammates, is communication about the communication. I'm not trying to attack you. What I'm trying to do here is I, I want to get deeper into, I don't want you to be frustrated. I want you to be more present with our kids. I want you to be more present with me. Like I desire, it's that... that that our motivation is positive and that we have conversation about that so that we see those motivations. Well, I so agree with what they're talking about because we're all busy. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. a huge challenge within our marriage is how do you find the time to have good, meaningful conversation. I okay, so, so just before we started, you and Aaron spent a couple minutes trying to figure out uh, kid shuffling and, <laughs> and trips. To, yeah, John, to... you saw the great example. That's where of, we live, too. Of, yeah. John, you're showing how the sausage is made, not just how good it tastes. No, it's just interesting to me that that's where you were at even as we were about to record this. Mm-hmm. It is. It's a constant conversation, and we have to have those kind of conversations about the, you know, it's more administrating our, our marriage and our family. You know, who's going to pick up who, take who, Greg, you're going to take Annie with you, right? But then there's this deeper longing in our hearts that we, we as, especially as women, we want to connect at that deep heart level, and it's necessary for a healthy marriage. I remember one time, just being totally honest, to where Erin was frustrated, we're talking about a relationship, and I'm trying to figure out what is going on with her, and basically she said, you know, I just, I, I just don't feel like you care to really know What's going on with me? I just remember thinking, well, I know that's not true because I care about her, 
But then I, I had this huge epiphany in this moment. We're just laying in bed. And I realized, I said, you know what? Honestly, I'm just going gonna, gonna to throw it out there. Don't be mad at me. I said, I'm kind of bored with our conversations. And, and I think it offended her. I'm offended right now. Well, <laughs> I, I'm nervous right now, so I can feel the. Well, sweat thanks again. Yes, this John is the second us. close that yeah. we haven't, <laughs> no, <laughs> we haven't it, planned. So. And, and here was the epiphany: is that I realized that we had gotten caught in, I think, a cycle that every couple goes through, which is we spent the majority of our time talking mm-hmm. about small stuff, so trivial stuff to how who's going to pick up the kids, the administration stuff that Aaron was talking about, and I realized. Why take time and talk as a couple when all we're going to do is talk about trivial things or more work busy, like business meetings? And I realized that, and that was that was a huge shift for me because I realized that all that other stuff is going to come at you. You don't have to, you just to, to manage our life together. There's so much work, so much of that we have to talk about. But man, that stuff is boring. Come on. It helps us function well. Mm-hmm. The, the stuff that, that you have to make happen is you've got to set aside a few minutes every day just to check in on, on the inner life stuff. How are you feeling? What do you need? What are you dreaming about? What's going on? That that you have to create time for. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge moment for me. And I know we're not alone in this because when we teach marriage enrichment events, you know, we'll we'll ask couples, how much time are you spending, you know, administrating your marriage? And couples will say, you know, 80, 90 percent of the time we're talking about, you know, this to do stuff versus how much time are you spending at that deep heart level? And, you know, maybe five 10%, you know, it just isn't natural. We have to create time and be intentional about pursuing that deep heart level stuff. Okay, so as, as busy as you two are, help us because uh, for Dina and me, it's been, uh, this is just a season. That's the, the phrase we use. Yeah. You know, this is just a season. And they all run it's together. It's been <laughs> 30 plus years yeah. of seasons. How do we stop that cycle and get to the heart time? Because honest, if I ask her those questions you just mentioned, Greg, that's like an hour or two conversation <laughs> that she will want to have, but she doesn't have the energy and I don't have the time. I mean, that sounds horrible, but you know what I mean? There's not a two-hour block for us to do that. So how do we, how do we get that on a daily basis? Yeah, Aaron and I target maybe 10 minutes a day. And, and it's mornings gonna, or evenings? It's or? Gonna, it changes. That that's the deal. This has to be flexible. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be the same. It might be over coffee that I bring her in the morning. It could be at night when we both finally get into bed mm-hmm. together. Because there's... And sometimes it's lunchtime because we work together. And, you know, that's a great opportunity to connect. Mm -hmm. And instead of going out to lunch with girlfriends or Greg hanging out with guys, John, you know, that we (laughs) we actually take time and utilize, be intentional about utilizing that time to connect to the deep heart level. And that says to others outside of the marriage, hey, my relationship here, this is really important, right? It it Mm -hmm. does. And that's, that's 10 minutes. And, and it can be whenever the I, I've needed a question to ask her. And the thing that we actually use, and it works quite well, is just the high-low game. It was the high of your day, the low of your day. And that gets us into some good stuff. And that's easier for me, too, to answer. Okay. So uh, is it all right if Dina and I rely on text messages for some of this? It, it's a connection. 
That's what you're I mean, out it for. It seems so counterintuitive, but sometimes that's the way she processes the best. Yeah, and then you know when you're together, you can bring up that text message. Hey, mm-hmm. I noticed when I asked you this, this is how you responded. I want to make sure I got it. You know, is this what you meant? And just clarifying it. You know, and so often couples want to believe that they need to set all this aside further down the road until their kids are out of the house and, you know, they're, it's just the two of us. And that is not what a marriage needs. A marriage needs constant care and feeding. And it's, it, it can't be later on. It needs to be today. And I hope what you're hearing is that there's little things that you can be doing each and every day to feed your marriage. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we've heard today about the differences in men and women, the differences in personalities and backgrounds, and uh, the need for regular time. I hope that you've been encouraged in your relationship to make it a priority to celebrate and honor that relationship. And uh, we do have more resources for you at our website, focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. Um, Things like His Brain, Her Brain, the book by the Laramores. And uh, that's a great tool to understand the wiring of the brains. And uh, as I said earlier, we'll send that to you when you make a generous gift of any amount to the ministry here. Uh, so we can continue making podcasts and resources. Also, we mentioned the marriage assessment. Take that online. And uh, the Essentials of Romance bundle, which includes a DVD and several books. So uh, you'll find the details about that bundle and these other resources at focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. Greg, I mentioned the uh, marriage assessment. You talked about it earlier, but tell our listeners again why that's important. You know, all of us are passionate about our marriage. We want to have a strong marriage. Some of the best ways to do this is to understand what do, what do I do well so that I can keep working at the things that I'm doing already that's well. And then just give me like one thing that I can work on. So the assessment will pinpoint some things that you can do. Just pick one of those. Like, you know, for me, if it's communication, then then I can go, okay, so maybe over the next month, I'm really going to focus in on this. So how do I do that? And through the assessment, you can then pick and choose some articles or a podcast. Mm-hmm. You can download some things that'll give you some tools to improve in that area. Okay, so Dina's really busy. I took it for her. Is that okay? Yeah, <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. You look good. You definitely Whoopsies. want to take it both individually. <laughs> yeah. Over 335,000 people have taken this. Well, So super exciting. It's a great tool. Just takes a few minutes. Focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. Now, next time, we're going to be helping with another common issue that many couples face, and that is, how can I show my spouse that I love them? I believe in a good post-it note. Putting a post, even if you write it where you're not really feeling it and you put it up and say, you know, it's been a hard day. Thanks for taking the kids when you got home. Or if you have to say, you know, thanks for making the bed six months ago when your mom came to visit. (laughs) If that's all you've got, write it down because he needs to hear that desperately. You'll be hearing more from that interview with Kathy Lipp and more from Greg and Aaron next time on the Loving Well podcast. I'm John Fuller, and please uh, give us a review and a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell a friend to listen in and uh, be here next time for Loving Well with Greg and Aaron Smalley.